Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Boost Your Biology podcast. I am pumped for today's episode because my special guest is a two-time Golf Digest top 50 golf fitness professional and trainer. She has become highly sought after for her unique approach to training, which combines nutrition, training, and lifestyle hacks to alter body composition and optimize metabolism. Ali Gilbert, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I have to add on to my bio, which I have on my Instagram, is that I normalize boner talk because that's what I'm known for. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Yeah, we'll be getting stuck into that, obviously, in today's conversation, which I'm definitely looking forward to. But maybe do you want to start with a little bit about your journey, Ali? Let my listeners know a little bit about yourself. How did you get started and what do you focus on today? Sure. Yeah. I'm a fitness professional, which I often get misunderstood for being some sort of doctor or healthcare practitioner, which is fine because I always joke that I'm not a doctor, but I just play one on social media because I heavily blur the lines that we're not supposed to blur, but whatever. So I've been a strength coach slash fitness professional for 20 years. It was my major in college, exercise science. And basically my specialty is in men's health. And the way I landed there was from what you said, golf fitness. So specializing in golf fitness brought me all male clientele because only guys really cared about their golf swing. And the place I grew up in the United States in Connecticut, 
we had nine golf clubs in my town. So it was obviously the right decision for me from a career standpoint to specialize in that because it was, oh, I still get to train athletes, but they could afford to train and they take it seriously and they're type A. And I love dealing with like type A, like people who get to work. Started training mostly guys, realized guys never go to the doctor and they basically suffered from just as much misinformation, if not more, surrounding hormones and hormone replacement that women do as well. And basically I just ran with that um, for the last eight to 10 years. So now I coach men remotely doing nutrition and fitness and then align them with practitioners who know what they're doing, such as our friend Dave Lee and other people in the United States that can prescribe TRT and stuff like that. So it's a little bit of a weird marriage between like golf fitness and men's health, but that's how that came about because everyone always asks like, how did you land with that? <laughs> yeah, no, it's an amazing journey. And I yeah, really respect what you're doing. I've been having a look at your Instagram posts and I've heard a lot about you in terms of the things you talk about. I guess maybe we can start out with what are some of the common struggles that you see with men these days in terms of like hormonal health? So a lot of them, I think, don't really know exactly what they're supposed to be feeling or sensing when they have low testosterone, because at at least over here, and I know that over there, the difficulty in obtaining a prescription for it alone can be enough to deter somebody away from actually talking about it. So the first step is identifying, do I have an actual issue, which I commend any man for doing because it takes a lot of balls for them to be like, something's wrong. I need to do something about it because men don't go to the doctor ever unless it's an emergency or has to do with their penis. I think trying to understand where their symptoms are coming from is probably the most important thing because they think, oh, I feel depressed or I don't feel as much drive or passion for my job or my family or my relationship as I once did. Why is that? And it really messes with their head because they feel almost less than um, less of a man than they're willing to admit. And those are the difficult conversations that I have with them because there's a lot of guys that struggle with erectile issues or sexual health issues, and they don't know why. And they're in their 20s. And a lot of it stems from childhood or just one bad relationship that maybe they had when they were a teenager. And I always bring that up because they don't connect the dots. I don't think a lot of people do like childhood trauma of any kind really comes to fruition when we're adults. And then before we realize what happened, we're like, oh yeah, that totally affected me my entire life. And now I realize why. So that's like a long-winded answer, but I think that's the root of where a lot of this stems from, because at the end of the day, it's a stressor. And stressors are really what impede somebody's ability to produce hormones at an optimal level. And it also will suppress their ability to perform at their potential, whether it's in the gym or the bedroom or anywhere, really. Yeah, yeah. As far as, I guess, the action plan for, let's say, young men, like in their 20s, and maybe they've gone to their doctor, what does that typical process look like for them? And like, how do you see it being so completely flawed? So in the U.S., at least our labs have this arbitrary range that has decreased over the last few decades. And 
we measure in nanograms per deciliter. And it used to be like 350 to 11 or 1500. And now I, I released a course on this. And one of my slides was LabCorp, Bioreference, and Quest and their new ranges. And Bioreference had the lowest starting at 193. Which, as you can imagine, like if you're a 25 year old and your testosterone's 194, you're going to be like, dude, you're all right. Have a nice day. And I'm like, oh my God. And I actually talked to a man this morning. He's 26 years old. His testosterone was 280 and he was told he's fine. Yeah. And I was like, this is crazy. And he said, yeah, the doctor said that I'm normal. So there's really not much that we can do. And these are guys that will do all the right things in every other aspect of their life, their lifestyle, sleep, nutrition, training, like they'll nail it. And yet still they're plagued with these low T levels. And so their first question is what is wrong with me or what am I doing wrong? And it really is nothing. It's neither. It's neither that it's really the environmental factors, but also everything that they're up against as far as stress in life and everything. So they feel something's wrong with them or they have a flaw and that makes them even less likely to say something like I feel something's wrong. And usually they don't look to get tested unless it's something they've read or somebody pushes them to get tested. But very rarely, it's not usually in routine. Like when you go to get your yearly checkup, they don't test hormones because why would they? Our insurance and our healthcare system doesn't really care about being optimal. They just want to make sure you don't die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also as far as that, that process there, let's say guys doing everything right, like maybe eating well, training hard, but their T is very low. And let's say they're in their mid twenties. What about some other stealth and underlying causes there? Like maybe do they have a varicocele or these other hidden causes? Maybe do you want to expand upon those? Yeah, I think I've had a few guys who have a varicocele and then when I push them to go get it checked out or maybe get surgery or something, then they're like, oh, something can be done about this. They have no idea. And a lot of the times too, and I, I think Dave has expanded on this where younger guys, when they're born with undescended testicles or they have one descended testicle, which will greatly impact their ability to produce testosterone because babies are being born now with a not, why can't I speak English today? It's nighttime here. It's not the morning. I should be like sharp. The anogenital distance is a lot shorter, which is usually predominant in females. And now that's becoming very predominant in males. And mm. we, I talk about that as like the AG distance, cause that's my initials. And so now people will associate me with the anal genital distance. Thank you. So I tell them instead of measuring if your index finger is longer or not, you guys can go home and now take a mirror yeah. and measure your, the distance from your, your scrotum to your anus. So, so yeah, just, those, like those, huh? We just use a ruler for that. What's the process there? No, I don't, I don't know if that would bend appropriately. I think a measuring tape or maybe like the, the tape that you use to take your own body measurements that self uh, clicks and stuff, <laughs> or maybe there's an app for that. I don't know. I haven't found it yet, <laughs> but I think those are, are actually things that no one considers because they don't realize like we're in a sperm production crisis on all of earth and guys are being born with less exposure to testosterone and more exposure to estrogens, specifically xenoestrogens and phthalates that all of a sudden 
here you are and you have no idea that this is something that you were born with. And it's very difficult to do anything about it when you're in the womb because you can't talk or anything. It puts tremendous pressure on the mother because it's if you were a pregnant woman, like you would be afraid to leave the house because of all these exposures and to know that you can affect your son's sperm production while you're pregnant with him. Like it's crazy. Yeah. What about when it comes to like optimizing male sexual health? Because I know you mentioned you like to talk boners and things like that. So let's get that discussion going here. First of all, my question is where high testosterone does not always equal high sex drive. So maybe do you want to expand upon that? A lot of times when sex drive is low, guys think automatically testosterone. And they think that's the only thing that is basically affecting their libido being up or down. And the approach to sex drive has to do with three different things. So the first thing being biochemistry, which is testosterone, the hormonal need, but also estrogen, because we know that adequate estrogen will contribute to nitric oxide production and good boners. The second thing would be uh, blood flow which tends to be an issue more in varicoceles or older guys who maybe are smokers or in poor health where they have very poor circulation. And then the third thing would be the brain, meaning any type of threat or stressor to the brain. So anything that's going to affect the hypothalamic pituitary axis, that is training too much, training too little, eating too much, eating too little, emotional stress, physical stress, lack of sleep, all these things are a cumulative addition or like the allostatic load for the science geeks. No one seems to realize that can play a tremendous role in someone's ability to obtain an erection and to have a high libido. And so the analogy that I like to use for fitness professionals and people who are in the gym is to pretend that you are, you're going for a one to three RM back squat. You are mid rep. It is excruciatingly difficult. You are grinding to get up. And at that moment, your love interest walks buck naked in front of you, winks at you and is, yo, let's go. And I say, okay, do you think that you can really switch gears that quick and get a boner mid rep under 200 kilos? And most guys would say, yeah, no. And so that is very similar to stress's effect on the body because if you're constantly in this fight or flight mode, your body's not going to be like, cool, bro, let's calm down, get an erection. Cause we have to be rest and digest and parasympathetic to get an erection. Ejaculation is more sympathetic and fight or flight. So if we spend too much time sympathetically driven, which is stress, we're not going to be able to obtain that erection. And therefore we're not going to have a very high sex drive because subconsciously there's that fear of not being able to get a boner. And when I explain it that way, guys are like, okay, like I get it because they don't think even if they don't feel stressed, there's a way to measure it. Your resting heart rate could be through the roof. Your HRV could be through the floor. And so understanding that effect on sex drive is huge because your body's not going to prioritize procreation if it's threatened in any other way. And during the pandemic or the start of the pandemic, because some countries are still in a pandemic, everyone was like, oh my God, I have testosterone problems. I can't get it up. My libido, it's shit. And I'm like, okay, hi, 
look around you like we are going through a, a worldwide crisis right now because people are having financial issues or they're losing their job, but they didn't account for that as being part of like their sexual health. So when they understand that, yes, testosterone can be part of it, but it's not all of it, then it paints a better picture as to what is actually going on. And then they can tackle it from a different perspective. Absolutely. I'm really glad, yeah, that you're mentioning the multifactorial aspects to libido and obviously some of those key things you mentioned, I think a lot of guys just overlook, particularly the stress component, like the parasympathetic response, the HIV. What would you, I've got my numerous tools to improve HIV, but I'm curious to know about what, like how you approach that. So it's funny because there's some people whose HRV just never really gets up into the 80s or 90s above. And then they feel like, what am I doing wrong? And I'm like, you have a pretty stressful job or that you just live at that. And like people whose resting heart rate really never gets below the 60s. That's okay. If the 60s are where somebody lives, like that's actually not bad. So it's getting someone to take an inventory of, What are they spending their time doing outside the gym? Because the gym is a stressor. However, it's also a form of stress relief for people. So what type of condition are they in and what is their training approach? And a lot of the times they don't necessarily do what's necessary for their aerobic conditioning. And that's an often hugely overlooked aspect. And especially in the fitness world, because everyone's, I don't need to do cardio. That's not cool. I don't want to look like a marathon runner. I can just do hit. Okay. I went through that too. Like early 2000s, like we could all do Tabata. We don't have to do long steady state. I went through that. Okay. And now I can admit like, all right, we were wrong because the quickest way to increase HRV, decrease blood pressure, decrease resting heart rate is aerobic conditioning. Cause we all learned in high school about the mitochondria being the powerhouse of the cell. And that's really all we remember, but it does allow us to utilize the food we eat a lot better and recover. And we're not going to turn into a marathon runner. So I don't know where that fear came from, but that was like really funny because it was always that one slide of a skinny little white marathon guy next to the jacked black sprinter. And it was like, you could you get any different? And, and it was like, if you sprint, you're going to turn into this guy. And it's okay. No, that's not happening. And people were deathly afraid of becoming super, super skinny. Now, if you want to be skinny, cool. That's your thing. I don't care what someone wants to look like, but people tend to gravitate toward the sport they play because of how they're built. I will never play basketball. I am five foot three. I was good at soccer. So I look more like a soccer player. So people get people like that skinny runner's body or the petite runner's frame is because that person was born that way and they just become really good at that sport. Mm. So that whole fallacy, like it it made me laugh. And that's a, this is a massive tangent on like aerobic work, but it just, it makes me laugh to this day. And then I'm like, how are we so blind when we learned everything in school and now we're preaching? Yeah, you can just do hit, but even more so nowadays with people are sitting overly stressed, hyperventilating as they sit, burning carbohydrates at rest. And we're telling them, yeah, just do the most intense, like stressful type of cardio and you'll be good. (laughs) Uh, It's crazy. I think a lot of guys fear the aerobic conditioning just simply due to the fact that they're like 
depleting muscle glycogen. So they look a little bit flatter and they think it's just absolutely killing their gains. Like maybe that's one side of it. I know. And that's still an argument. And my coach, Luke Lehman came up with this term called least mode because he was seeing people doing hashtag beast mode, hashtag fuck cardio. Like we don't need to do it. And there was like this least mode approach where somebody actually needs more aerobic conditioning, but he would explain it in the way where he would front load someone's program with aerobic work versus putting it at the end where a lot of people like physique competitors, especially to funnel calorie burn. And you're doing like two hours, which is who wants to do that. So if you start out aerobic, build a good aerobic platform, which only takes about eight to 10 weeks. And then you can maintain that with some higher intensity work versus right off the bat, throwing somebody into something that's going to send them into a more stressful environment. It's weird. And again, if you're an ultra endurance athlete, like if you said, Ali, I want to run from the East coast of the U S to California, I'd be like, okay, yeah, you might sacrifice some muscle and some testosterone, but most people are not running across their country (laughs) as their cardio. So I think we're okay. Exactly. (laughs) What about let's circle back. I'd love to dive deeper into some of the other hormonal cascades and maybe explain to my listeners that testosterone can get converted down maybe to estrogen DHT And then like specifically focusing in on low estrogen in men. So do you want to expand upon that? So estrogen being like the primary women's hormone makes guys scared to have it, even though they have it. (laughs) Like we're all, we make testosterone, you guys make estrogen. And this big fear of having estrogen number on a lab that is flagged as high means they're going to turn into a woman, grow boobs, and all of a sudden start crying. Like guys will make jokes if they're on TRT, especially like, oh, I started crying at commercials and wanting to cuddle with my wife. And they think that it's high estrogen causing that. Honestly, I don't know what causes that, but maybe having optimal hormone levels made them more in touch with their feelings, which is not a bad thing. We can go into that too, like with masculinity and stuff. But I think the bodybuilding world really caused a lot of issues making guys fear estrogen. And I know a lot of practitioners still, they talk about blocking it with aromatase inhibitors. So as we know from cholesterol comes pregnenolone and and it converts all the way down to DHEA, androstenedione, and that goes into testosterone and estrogen. And testosterone can be converted to estradiol or DHT, which is a very potent form of testosterone. And it's the estradiol, that conversion, they want to give medication to block that. The problem with that is it's a cardioprotective, neuroprotective, boner protective hormone that very similarly to having low T, if you have low E, you can experience libido issues. You can experience mood issues. You can experience insulin resistance. And a big analogy for that is women who go into menopause. What happens with menopause? Women constantly complain that they get belly fat, that they can't handle carbohydrates as much, that they can't handle the same type of exercise, and they become more prone to osteoporosis. So men are not exempt from that just because they're guys. So if you crush their estrogen or they end up having low estrogen, it's going to be the same thing. And if they're not on TRT, 
and they do have low testosterone, guess what? You're going to probably have low estrogen as well. Even if, if it's out of balance, even if you have more estrogen than testosterone, it's still going to be on the low side. Mm. So that fear mongering of, oh my God, you have estrogen, suppress it. Okay. Where does that stem from bodybuilding? Cause they think also the more testosterone and anabolics they're on, the more they need to suppress it because gyno, but they don't even know what gyno is. They just think their nipples are sensitive. I have gyno. Your nipples are sensitive because you're fluctuating the hormones in your body. So it's not a fear. Here's a quick little message to all men listening into today's show. Do you want to double your energy levels, boost motivation, and increase your focus? If so, you may be interested in my epic men's energy program I've recently launched called Limitless. Now, Limitless is an exclusive 12-week program for men who want to go from feeling tired, unmotivated, or burnt out to highly energetic, driven, and focused. Within the program, I will analyze your own unique biology and lay out a fully personalized health protocol so that you can finally unlock peak physical and cognitive performance. Over the 12 weeks, you will have direct access to me to ensure your results as well as the chance to join me live twice a week to ask me anything relating to health protocols and discover cutting-edge men's health info to keep you at the top of your game. Now, spots in this program are extremely limited, so if you're interested in finding out more, make sure you go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash limitless program to reserve the next available call to see if you're a good fit. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash limitless program. You'll also find this link in my bio on my Instagram profile and also my YouTube channel. So you're mentioning, so like we'll start from the, the low estrogen side of things, some of the symptoms that men face there. So go through that spiel. Yeah, because I'll get it edited back out pretty much. Okay. So with low estrogen, guys tend to fear estrogen because it's like a female hormone. And with testosterone, so testosterone being part of the hormonal cascade, starting from cholesterol, testosterone can convert into DHT or estrogen. And DHT is the potent form of testosterone that gives, I always say gives us, but I'm not a guy, but I feel like I'm one of the bros, gives us our male secondary sex characteristics, V taper, facial hair, stuff like that. If it converts to estrogen and that enzyme that does the conversion is blocked, then that's a problem because estrogen is neuroprotective, cardioprotective, boner protective. Guys will become very irritable, very low libido, very similar to low T and they won't be able to tolerate carbohydrates and they'll start gaining belly fat. And it's amazing the amount of men that have been prescribed something like a Rimidex or anastrozole to block estrogen. When they come off of it, they feel so much better. They feel leaner. Like they just don't know why they take this medicine. You want to be able to trust the person prescribing it to you. But then they're like, oh my God. And you can show them like, there's a lot of literature showing the detriments to block estrogen in guys or to suppress it but there's really nothing saying it is bad to have optimal levels of estrogen in guys. They just use this piece of paper 
at least in the US too, excuse me. Oh, estrogen is red. That means it's high because it says high. It has nothing to do with what the patient feels. They don't go by any subjective feedback. It's, oh, we have to block this because it's high on a piece of paper. Yeah. So our friend Gil made a great analogy on the TRT channel saying, trying to figure out how much estrogen a man is producing on paper via blood test is very similar to trying to determine how much money Bill Gates has just by looking in his wallet. So it's obviously just a fraction of it. So we really have no idea by looking at a blood lab. And a lot of doctors will go by the labs for various things, but it's always like the hormones. Like we have to get this in a certain range. No, we don't. It's really more, how does the guy feel? Because guys will freak out. They'll be like, my estrogen's a hundred. I'm like, how do you feel? They're like, I feel good. I'm like, what's the problem? Like, It's a hundred. I'm like, it's okay. Obviously, I want them to be with a practitioner that doesn't make a big deal about it. Some of them don't even test estrogen at all. So then you can't worry about something you don't see. So that's where like getting labs done can be a double-edged sword because it's like a snapshot in time that if you actually were going to die just because of that estrogen number, you would have already died because it takes about a week for the labs to come back. Okay, so yeah. So dealing with that, is huge to talk guys off the ledge because hey, the bodybuilding world is the world that made this a thing because they take such massive levels of testosterone and anabolics that they think the greater these substances, the greater estrogen it must be producing. So that must be really bad. And a Mm. lot of them now are having heart attacks and stuff like that. Probably contributing factor is crushing their estrogen so low. I remember even when I thought one of my best girlfriends is a former IFBB pro and she would be on Arimidex and Tamoxifen and Aromacin. What? And I was like, oh, maybe I need to do that too, to get shredded. And I remember taking Aromacin, which is like the worst one that you can take, like cuts off all ability. And all of a sudden, like my glucose levels were really high. And I was like, why am I not tolerating carbs? I made myself insulin resistant. So I had to rectify that. And then I learned better. This was like 12 years ago. Self-experimentation is a big part of this too. Because if you've been through it, then you can understand, yeah, this makes no sense scientifically. So 100%. I can relate. I can relate there. I went through a period as well, Ali, whereas I've maxed out my tea. Like my tea is like 988 nanograms per deciliter. That's quite high for, I know it could be a lot better realistically. But anyway, my estrogen was also quite high on paper. But I felt bloody amazing. I felt awesome. I felt really good. And I went through a period of time where I was like, all right, let's acquire every single natural aromatase inhibitor, eat all the anti-estrogenic foods. And I pretty much accumulated all these anti-estrogenic compounds in my body. And I felt terrible after one week of, yeah, just smashing estrogen to the floor. I just felt horrible. Terrible. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's amazing because it's like guys become so attached to it, but they just don't know why. And they think like anything surrounding like the breast or chest area, if they feel like a pain, oh, it's gyno. Oh, my nipple rubbed against my shirt. Oh, it's gyno. What if your shirt is wool or it's like a terrible material or something like it's crazy. But I think that we're making strides with pushing against the nonsense and getting guys more educated. But literally every time I am on stage at a conference and I talk about this, 
some guy corners me and he's like pulling up his labs and he's so my estrogen's like 50 and I'm on Arimidex. So what do I do? Cause now it's 15 and I'm like, okay, how do you feel? And he's, I feel like shit. And I'm like, it's time yeah. to find a new practitioner. Like it's okay. It's crazy. Cause even there's some rat studies. I don't know if you've seen the male rat studies, but they literally administer estrogen, like estradiol and these male rats become super horny and they just get their sex drive back. Yes. Totally. And I've actually listened to Neil Rousier, who is a big researcher on the, do you know him? He does courses yeah. in the U S and so he, he was talking about like the literature where they've given estro- estrogen to prostate cancer patients. They've given estrogen to obese men to show that it does not push people in the wrong direction, that it actually can be beneficial. And it's like mind blowing, but some of those studies were part of what he was talking about and how like the rats were really horny and they had more life to them and everything. And it it was like, it's crazy. And you don't want to believe it until you actually read it. Yeah. What about the next hormone DHT? I know this is another one that guys fear a lot. Like, I'd love to hear your stance in terms of the importance of DHT. Do you care about the lab test results? Yeah. Do you want to expand upon that? From the practitioners that I've surrounded myself with, like the lab results are not really an alarming thing to them. If anything, I think guys fear surrounding it is because of how people say DHT causes prostate cancer, similar to estrogen causes prostate cancer. So everything must cause prostate cancer because it's like, what hormone are we left with that doesn't cause prostate cancer? So I think that they're fearing it for the wrong reasons. And also the hair loss is a big factor and that contributing to, again, another medication that you can block. But if you just Google post finasteride syndrome, that'll tell you all you need to know about blocking five alpha reductase, which is what converts testosterone to DHT. And it's crazy. Like the amount of young men that are like full head of hair like you and their dad lost his hair. And they're like, I just want to do this for preventative reasons. And I'm like, oh, and then they end up with like lower T. They feel like shit. And I'm like, dude, or they end up like having issues peeing and it's all part of it. I'm like, do you understand you're basically playing with fire and you have to make a decision. If you are prone to losing your hair when you're older, shave your head, find a way to make yourself look good. Do not sacrifice your testosterone, your boner, your your urethra, like everything manly just for the sake of hair. There's so many options now. Like Dave is very open about the micropigmentation he had on his head. And that's a great solution for guys whose hairline is a little bit misshapen or awkward, or maybe they don't like it. And then they have to end up with hair loss. Like my husband is slowly, it's receding and he's holding on to every hair on his mohawk that he has. I'm like, just shave it. Like his dad shaved his head. So if you're going to end up there, don't try to slow that process because again, don't block things. Like blocking things is a bad idea. We've realized this with statins and anti-estrogens and anti-DHTs and stuff like that. So. Yeah, for sure. I think the consequences associated with some of those hardcore medications, like just destroying a man's quality of life. And even like you mentioned there, like both you and I know that there are guys that have used these medications and then stopped. And then even one year later, they're facing all these side effects, like even after withdrawal. 
Totally. And it seems like there was this big push for that maybe 10 years ago, because then that's when they came out with Rogaine and like all these things. And I don't know a ton about those shampoos and stuff now, but it, it seems that we've pulled the brakes on pushing that hardcore but there are, it's more to appease the patient. I don't want to lose my hair. Okay, here. <laughs> yeah. What about when it comes to like nutrition? I'd love to get your stance here, whether I'd love to learn about like how your approach to nutrition has changed over the years. So I used to be the person that was like, this worked for me and all my clients should do what I do. I, I literally was that coach who was like, you have to eat every three hours or your muscles will fall off. And you've got to meal prep. I was like, oh my God, it makes me want to vomit. Like how awful that was. And again, I'm like 22, 23. Realizing your clients don't want to be you and they don't want to live your lifestyle is a big epiphany to have. And the earlier you can have it, the better. Because again, they don't want to have veins on their abs. They don't want to be dick skin lean. Like they just want to feel good in their skin and maybe have one or two abs showing. So that is how the mindset toward it and meeting people where they're at is something that's changed. Because since I've turned 40, I've now realized a lot of my friends who have children and their lifestyles and what can work for somebody is not what's going to work for somebody else. And that's actually now what drives me crazy in these forums, because somebody will ask a nutrition question and it's like everyone chimes in as to what works for them. And they're like, keto worked for me and this works for me. And quite often it worked for them for a period of time and then it stopped working. And so in my mind, if something worked past tense for you and you're not still doing it, it was not a sustainable approach. So I would say globally, I am very positive towards a higher protein approach because I think it solves a lot of issues. One of those being hunger, snacking, just like unawareness of how much somebody's eating. So all my clients, whether they're doing just a consult or a coaching, being a coaching client, they will log their food on chronometer for a few days, just so I can see what their intake is like. I don't care where it comes from. I'm not judging you, whatever. So nine times out of 10, nine, 9.9 times out of 10, the protein is not sufficient for what they're doing. And it's a huge opening thing. Cause I always ask someone, so what did you learn? If you've never tracked your food, what did you learn? They're like, how much I eat or how much I don't eat. And they're training like six days a week and they feel like shit. Okay. So protein, at least body weight in grams, or if they're very, if they're over fat, like over 20% for guys, then lean body mass grams and protein, but it's always the higher protein approach. And then what their activity level and health situation is will dictate the carbs and fats. A lot of my guys tend to do very well on higher carb, lower fat. They just don't know it until they try it. Mm. So well, I have a lot of guys that are sub 20% body fat that are very active military veterans, just like the type that will train a lot, but not sleep and not eat enough to support the training. So it's corralling them to realize, why don't we reduce the amount of training, but just go harder and actually feed that. And then we can look at switching or adding training because they do just love training. And mm. more often than not, they're not eating enough or they're afraid. Like women, we are pegged with the eat less body image issues, all that stuff. I will tell you from training men, you guys have the same type of, of 
issues, I guess, issue you can call it or drawbacks. Like we all have that guys just don't talk about it as much, but most of my guys don't like getting on the scale. They do fear the weight gain that will come from carbohydrates, even though it's water weight, they fear weight gain in general, especially if they're used to being a certain level of leanness. Cause if you've ever dieted down, anything above that feels like you're obese. So I get it. So usually that's the approach that I'll take with them. Yeah, it's interesting. You're not the first person I've heard that's mentioned the benefits of like, I'm sure did Luke Lehman talk about manipulating the fats and like actually lowering the fats. Like what do you consider lowish on the fats in terms of grams per kilogram? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I would say the lowest I've brought any of my guys down is around 3540. And that's when they're dieting really hard. But traditionally, if they're higher carb, and in in my mind, that would be over 200 grams a day, roughly their fats are anywhere between 50 to 80, depending on their calorie level. So my guys who are very high calorie and upwards of four or 500 grams of carbs, again, you only need the fat to go so high, but if it's a lot of calories, you don't really need protein just as high because the carbs are protein sparing. So it's the calories have to come from somewhere so they can get away with over a hundred grams of fat or so, but you will realize like we, we swing hard in the industry with the pendulum and we got so infatuated with high fat and adding fat that we really don't need all this additional fat. Like you really could get away with fish oil and like essential fat and get pretty damn lean. But if you don't want to suffer and feel like miserable then we will err on the side of probably 50 plus grams. But I do have guys that really want to get to that next level leanness. You have to go lower, but you don't stay there. That's the problem. Men and women, we will live there because we're like, oh, this works really well. Let's do this for 12 months. And then we feel even worse. (laughs) And as far as like the protein, I'm curious to know, what's what's the max you've ever personally gone up to per day? Me, I think Luke had me around 200. So I'm around, I'm like 61 kilos now. And my like lean weight is like 60.5. I've got around 49 to 50 kilos of lean body mass, which is high for my height because I'm five foot three. So right now I'm at 155 grams of protein because we are reverse dieting because I did a photo shoot two weeks ago but I like protein. So if clients don't like protein or they don't enjoy eating a lot of it, it's going to be tough to get them to eat a good amount of it. I'd rather have a little bit higher protein and sacrifice some carbs just because I love protein. Some people are not used to it. So that's why having a food log is great. Cause if somebody's eating hundred grams of protein a day and they need 220, if I go to, from 100 to 220, they're going to sit on the toilet for a while and be like, I hate you, Allie. So we have to get an understanding for this is a process and we're going to work up to it. But what it does for people is it helps keep them satiated. So they're less likely to snack and take in what I call air macros where they just forget to log it, but they've eaten half a bag of pretzels and also take advantage of the thermic effect of food where costs more calories to digest protein. So we might as well take advantage of that, especially if you're dieting, because if you're dieting, you do need higher levels of protein to mitigate any muscle breakdown and it'll keep you fuller, but you can actually burn calories by eating. 
because you can overfeed protein and it's really not likely to be stored as body fat. Whereas eating donuts more likely, even though they're delicious. (laughs) What about as far as meal timing? Have you manipulated that in the past at all? With certain people, I find with my clientele, it's just hard for them to get their calories in. Sometimes I'm sure you have people who are like, I like intermittent fasting and it's okay. So why do you like it? Do you feel it does something magic or does it keep you structured or do you feel better? Half the time they have gut problems. So they feel better not eating. The other half of the time they think it does something magical. So if somebody struggles to get their calories in, I don't think fasting is going to help them. So I will encourage them to spread those meals out appropriately, depending on when they train, when it feels best. If somebody's like, hey, I eat one meal a day. Okay. Can we get all those calories in? Like I've had people like that before. I'm not strict with get this in at this time, unless they're extremely consistent. I won't do any carb cycling with somebody unless they're extremely consistent. Cause otherwise it's a crapshoot. Like you're asking somebody to be diligent in hitting certain goals that are different on different days. And they can't even hit the same goal every day. So it's asking a lot, but as far as timing with workouts, unless they're training twice a day, I don't really make a big deal of it. Cause I'm asking a lot throughout the rest of their day, but I tell them like, listen, try not to go like an hour after training without eating something. Cause sometimes like we, we take that for granted as fitness professionals. We just assume people know to eat after they train. Cause I think we're so hungry, but like people will go and have coffee. They'll go to a meeting and it'll be like six hours later. Yeah. I have lunch. And I'm like, you trained at 6.00 AM, but they just don't think to eat anything after. So it's, you have to constantly remind yourself that the education of the basics are useful to a lot of people. For sure. For sure. What about as far as the biggest, let's say a man's looking to optimize his hormones. What would you say is the biggest mistake that men make when trying to like optimize their hormones? Probably sacrifice sleep for gym time or cardio or try fasting because they heard fasting increases testosterone. I don't know where that came from. But it's trying to implement everything and being consistent with nothing. So sleep usually goes unaddressed because it's so boring and no one really cares. But if you actually look at how we sleep and our routine before we sleep, way different than like childhood, you're lucky to have a TV in your room. And now everyone's, yeah, I fall asleep watching the TV. And I'm like, okay, that could be a reason why you wake up at 3 a.m. Or they're like, I drink alcohol because I can't calm down to get to sleep. And I'm like, alcohol does not help you sleep. It helps you pass out. And then you wake up at 3 a.m. and you wonder why. Understanding the cold, dark room and like eliminating as best you can any screen time. And I get that some people have jobs where they're dealing with different time zones and they have to be on the phone or whatever. All right, cool. Get blue light blocking glasses. Try to calm down any way you can. Read a book that has nothing to do with your profession and chill out. When's the last time you were bored and okay with it? Like I literally said to a client the other day, the average uh, attention span of people is seven seconds. So people encourage you to make Instagram reels and TikToks that are like 
15 seconds or less because you might get half of your message across to somebody. Seven seconds. So if we're not entertained within that time frame, and you don't get the majority of your message across, who's going to sit there and watch a one minute reel? And it's okay, cool. In the 80s, we sat on the porch, no phones, no TV, really, maybe a radio, maybe a Walkman that was like this big. And you sat in like a rocking chair, and you just watched the sunset. And it was like, who can do that now? Or if you like sit with no phone, you're really creepy. But <laughs> <laughs> well, if you think about it, when's the last time you were bored? Like you, you could not look at your phone or nowadays it's like, what TV program can I watch while watching my phone at the same time? <laughs> it's just the constant yeah, dopamine society we live in. And then they wonder why they have no drive and motivation. It totally makes sense. So Ali, what about in terms of if my, my listeners, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of guys that want to reach out and work with you. Where can they find you? I know you have your testosterone school as well. So maybe do you want to let my listeners know how they can connect with you? Yeah, I am always on Instagram. So at the Ali Gilbert slide in the DMS and please do not hesitate to ask questions. Like literally the, it's such a sensitive topic sometimes with the men's health stuff that a lot of guys DM me and they feel bad about it, but I realize how much courage it takes to actually ask these questions. So I really encourage guys to have that conversation with me if they are too shy to do it with a practitioner, at least I can help bridge that relationship. So on there is where you'll find most of my content. I am on Facebook. I don't do a whole lot on Facebook. I think most of the kids these days are on Instagram. So that's where they can find me. Awesome. Awesome. So make sure to leave those linked in the show notes for my, for my listeners. But Ali, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was, it was a great chat. Thank you for having me. Thank you everyone for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 